Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. KFI AM uh, 640. Bill Handel here. And uh, the whole morning crew on a President's Day, Monday, February 21. A lot going on this morning. Oh, is there a lot going on this morning and over the weekend? Uh, oh, first of all, uh, some interesting news. Queen Elizabeth uh, has tested positive for COVID. Of course, that is big news, but is experiencing mild cold-like symptoms, according to the palace, and is still working. And the Beijing Winter Games. Uh, Winter Games are done, finished closing ceremonies, and I'm going to be doing more of that at 8 o'clock. Uh, there is quite a story uh as we dive a little bit deeper. Now, the big news around the world, uh, the biggest news that we've had in a very long time geopolitically is the uh, Ukraine-Russia conflict. And we've been hearing that Russia is amassing forces. Uh, Remember, I think it was just a week ago I reported there were 100,000 troops on the border. And now 150,000 troops, 190,000 troops is the last report of Russian troops uh, on the border. And it's not just the border between Ukraine and Russia. Just north of Ukraine is Belarus, which is an ally of Russia. So uh, Russia has sent its troops all along the Belarus-Ukraine border. So effectively, three-quarters of Ukraine is surrounded by Russian troops. Massive amounts of equipment also uh, have been deployed And they're right there at the border. And we are hearing that uh, Russia, that Putin has already ordered that Russian commanders get ready for the invasion uh, for an incursion. And they're just sitting there uh, effectively in a football stance, ready to go. They're on the line of scrimmage. uh, They're in position and they're waiting for the snap. And uh, the State Department said, we're waiting for the snap. Uh, and uh, it's uh, it's close. Uh, the U.S. has said, uh, Biden said, we're right there. We're at the edge. Although the Kremlin keeps on denying warnings, saying, no, we're not going to invade. As a matter of fact, we're withdrawing troops, yeah, which I don't understand why Putin would say that and the Russian hierarchy would say that. Because today uh, it takes a second to look at photos. Matter of fact, The government released photos, commercial photos like Google Earth that anybody can pull out. And there are the Russian forces and compare them to last week. There are more on the border. There's Russia saying we're pulling out. We're withdrawing some forces. There are the photos. No forces have been withdrawn. There are more. There is additional uh, equipment being brought to the border. I mean, tanks and personnel carriers and... uh, just uh, missile vehicles. I mean, it just goes on and on, artillery. And so what's going to happen? Right. Well, right now what's happening is global leaders, particularly Macron, scrambling in a diplomatic effort to avoid the war between uh, Russia and Ukraine. And a senior department official said, 
outright uh, that this is perhaps the most perilous moment for peace and security since the end of the Cold War. And short of an atomic war, which I don't think is going to happen, you're not going to see nuclear weapons. What you're going to see is a conventional ground war, but unlike anything we've ever seen, because everything is smart now. Everything is targeted. Uh, it's going to take relatively little ammunition, relatively little force to to just uh, increase the uh, the severity, the lethality of uh, any kind of a conflict. I mean, you don't have to rain bombs down on a building or a command control center uh, when you could do it with one missile that'll go through the window. That is uh, what is going to happen. In the meantime, uh, how are we, how are Americans responding? Well, Quinnipiac University just did a poll. 57% of Americans say we should not send troops if Russia attacks or even if Russia attacks. Uh, and that's exactly what the president has said. However, 54% support the president's decision to deploy troops to support NATO allies. And therein is a huge story. Uh, what is uh, Ukraine's position vis-a-vis the West? It is not a member of NATO, although de facto it really is a member of NATO, all but na- in name uh, only. Uh, it has It's basically a Western country, and it borders Russia. And Russia does not want Ukraine to get anywhere near NATO. But we'll look at NATO, formed in 1949 against Russian invasion, Russian attack to Western Europe. And you even have so former Soviet republics that effectively belonged to Russia. And when uh, communism fell apart, they actually moved over to the West. So now you have countries that are on Russia's border that are pro-West and Putin scared to death. And so he has said Ukraine is not going to join NATO because there was talk. As a matter of fact, uh, NATO opened up uh, its membership four other countries, and Ukraine is right there in line, although it hasn't joined, NATO hasn't allowed it to join because of this issue, because of the reaction from Russia. Having Ukraine in in NATO is not as important as pissing off Russia to this extent. Also, Russia wants troops, NATO troops, moved away from Eastern Europe, which used to be uh, a Russia sphere of influence. And so, effectively... What Putin is saying, and it's legitimate uh, on his side, it has gotten it has gotten tougher for Russia. It has gotten riskier for Russia. Uh, it has uh, changed dramatically for Russia in the last 20 years. And he said, OK, we're done. This is what we demand. And the United States and Western allies are saying, no, we're not going to do that. Diplomatic efforts have been going on for a very long time and nothing has come up to it and not, nothing has come out of it. And we are looking at an imminent invasion. Now, what happens internationally if Russia invades Ukraine? I mean, they're going to try to come up with some false flag operation, meaning that they're going to manufacture some kind of an attack on Russian, uh, the separatists, uh, Ukrainian separatists who are Russian-backed that want to overthrow the government of Ukraine, democratically elected government of Ukraine, So there'll be some manufactured attack and Russia is going to go in to defend its allies and is going to go in to uh, somehow in a defensive action is going to attack Ukraine. Uh, I don't even know why Putin would ever say that. I guess you have some kind of cover, even though there's no plausible deniability there. But we're waiting. 
Uh, we're waiting to see what happens. It's imminent. And, of course, as soon as an invasion does occur, which we're told by our own intelligence and the Western, uh, the alliance, that it's going to happen. A uh, lot going to be going on this week. Now, uh, another take on the Ukrainian crisis, the Russia-Ukrainian crisis, is uh, it's a story of a drone. Uh, that was flying over Ukraine, and this is uh, early 2017. So we're talking about five years ago. And what does that have to do with uh, what's going on today? Well, let me tell you. Uh, it was shot down by Ukrainian forces, and it was flying surveillance. And it was Russian. Six feet long, normal drone. And it had all the characteristics of a Russian military drone. It looks like a Russian drone. And then they cracked it open. When it crashed in Ukraine and they found electronic components that were manufactured by half a dozen Western companies. The engine came from a German company that supplies model airplane hobbyists. Computer chips for navigation and communications were made by U.S. suppliers. Uh, a British company provided one of the major chips. And then you had other parts that came from Switzerland, South Africa and various other countries and the bottom line, if you look at the analysts, without all those parts, Russia would have found it a whole lot more difficult to produce and operate the drones. Now, could they have done it? Yes. But a lot of uh, the fighting that goes on today is not only cyber warfare, but uh, clearly electronics and uh, the, the fewer parts, the fewer chips that anybody can get, any country can get, the more difficult it is. So um, let's talk about what's going to happen. I'll tell you what's going to happen if uh, there is a Russian incursion. First of all, how many boots on the ground are there going to be fighting Russia? It's going to be Ukraine on its own, even though the United States is pouring military aid into Ukraine. I mean, it's nonstop. And Ukrainians will put up a fight. There's no question about that, but the Ukrainians will lose. And we don't know what happens after that. My guess is that Russia will install a pro-Russian pro government that will be, quote, freely elective. Boy, is that in air quotes. And Russia will now have an ally on its border like Belarus to the north of Ukraine instead of a pro-Western government and country. So uh, that is the backdrop of what's going on. So Russia and so the fighting that's happened is going to be cyber warfare. It's going to be this kind of surveillance uh, that's probably what's going to happen more than the Russian actual invasion, although it's going to kick everything off. So part of it is you need electronics. And when you're talking about drones and uh, smart bombs and missiles, those are loaded with electronics. And so Russia certainly has some of the best scientists in the world, have some of the best hackers, but what they don't have are factories that make electronics or computer hardware. They rely mainly on imports. And part of the swift, significant, and brutal sanctions that the United States and the Western allies are saying to Russia, if you invade, you're going to get hit with financial uh, penalties. Uh, we're going to hit you big time where in the pocketbook, where it really hurts and you won't be able to function. Well, uh, Russia all of a sudden is going to be short of that, and are those sanctions going to work? Well, they're going to be pretty brutal. Uh, one of them, probably the biggest one, is removing uh, Russia from the SWIFT program, the SWIFT being the international clearinghouse 
where money is transferred from country to country for the sale of goods, the sale of oil, et cetera. You're out of that. There's some big problems going on. Then a country is out of the international banking system. Iran, for example, big problems there. It's, it's an underground economy is what it is. And Russia is looking at the possibility of that. Except, and part of it is chips that manufactured around the world that go to Russia will stop being shipped to Russia. The United States still has a huge amount of influence, has enough, is enough of an economic powerhouse that it can tell uh, even non-allies, stop it. You can't ship. And if you do, it's going to hurt you big time. And so Russia is sort of caught in the middle. That's one, one of the things it has to deal with is the shortage of computer chips with which you can't function. We just are in the middle of that with a shortage of chips and can't manufacture appliances. Cars are difficult to get and difficult to manufacture because of the shortage of chips. Can you imagine cutting it off, 90% being cut off? That's what we're looking at. But there's another side, and that is uh, for the military – You don't need a lot of, you don't need a whole lot of components. You don't need a huge number of chips. Let's say you need 500 or 1,000. Well, that's pretty doable. As a matter of fact, you can have 200 Russian agents just going to the electronic store and buying this stuff because a lot of it is available literally off the shelf. And Russia, in fact, uh, is pretty good at surreptitiously finding out where uh, things are kept there. For example, intelligence is superb. Quick sidebar story, a factoid. Uh, when you go back to World War II and the creation of the atomic bomb uh, at the um, summit in Potsdam, where uh, Harry Truman uh, was president of the United States, and they were talking about splitting up uh, Europe, literally, Churchill and Stalin and Harry Truman, uh, that's when <clears throat> the United States, when Harry Truman got the word that the atomic uh, weapon had, in fact, been tested at Trinity and it was on its way to being used. Stalin knew about it beforehand. They had spies all over the place. They were able to infiltrate the United States. And Russia may have even known it before uh, Truman did. So this is what they do. So going in and uh, buying products... Uh, through various middlemen and various companies and through various shell companies they're pretty good at. And also, uh, the big fly in the ointment here is China. And that I'm going to talk about a little bit later on uh, because uh, at 9 o'clock, there is now a a, a treaty, even though it is not signed, uh, there is a non-aggression treaty pact between Russia and China in which we are the boogeyman. It's uh, it's a very big change in the world of geopolitics. Uh, so at this point, Russia is aggressively trying to manufacture chips. Uh, not going to make it by this war. Uh, they're using foreign-made components. We are supplying them through small companies, manufacturers. And even though it's illegal, uh, for example, selling components to uh, Iran, there are companies that still do it. Money is money, and it's that simple. Now, the only thing that is, I guess, on the good side is that there's an entire uh, Western alliance here, uh, and they're all dedicated, and they will all line up to punish Russia if this invasion happens, except West Germany. 
West Germany is keeping itself out. And West Germany is the key player in the Western Alliance. It is the strongest country outside of the United States uh, in NATO. And when you talk about Europe itself, there is no country more powerful than, uh, than West Germany. There's a lot going on here. And over the next few days, especially if there is an invasion of Ukraine, uh, we're going to do a whole lot talking about this. Something happened over the last uh, week, actually, and it had to do with uh, the protests up in Canada. And boy, there were protests and they were very effective, especially on the trucker side. And what you saw was a bunch of big rigs uh, going into the Canadian capital. It was blocking major streets, thousands of supporters, uh, pissed off residents, And it really captured the attention of Canada and us. Everybody's gone now. And now we're looking at, I don't know who's calling here. Strange. Oh, that's that's our phone. Uh, Should be on off. In any case, uh, there were thousands of protests and protesters. And the question for Canada is, is this the start? of a major trend, much like we have in the United States, or was this just a blip? And it really was about uh, the issue of vaccinations. Not masking, but vaccination. There is obviously a very strong anti-vax movement, not only here in the United States, where it's the strongest, but actually around the world, where vaccines are being mandated uh, by countries all over the world, uh, including Canada. And so protests come up, against uh, the mandatory vaccinations. It seems to really piss people off. And that's fairly new because I don't remember ever, if you look at history, there hasn't been this uproar over vaccines. I mean, going back to the turn of the last century, it happened here in Los Angeles, mandatory vaccines for smallpox. There were people that were fighting it. It went up to the uh, Supreme Court that said, of course, Uh, The city, the county, any state has a right to mandate vaccines, especially when you're dealing with a major public health issue. Oh, and COVID is not. Of course it is. So uh, that is uh, the issue in Canada. And now these protests, and they were, for the most part, people on the right. Uh, They were people, including people who just were against vaccines, the vast majority, and then some crazies were part of it, too. Uh, the, the the conspiracy theorists who uh, were screaming about QR codes. The government is trying to get our uh, our DNA. Now we're talking about Canadians who are arguing that the Canadian government is trying to do this, and the vaccine grabbing DNA and controlling everybody in big pharma, uh, creating it for money or whatever conspiracy theory it was up there. And if you saw, this is the bizarre part. You saw a bunch of protesters in Canada around the parliament in Ottawa, the capital, with Trump flags, with Confederate flags, uh, with QAnon flags. And you go, wait a minute, Trump flags in Canada? Confederate flags in Canada? Well, there was that contingent also. Now the question is, how far and how deep does this go? Is this wave actually get go beyond this demonstration, which is over. And uh, regional, uh, when you had provincial leaders, uh, didn't act fast enough, and they were tossed out temporarily. 
And in order to quell this, it finally took Prime Minister Trudeau passed an emergency measure saying, uh, we'll, especially with the truckers, tr- uh, the truckers, we'll confiscate the trucks and freeze your accounts. And they did exactly that. And all of a sudden, truckers are going, oops, how committed am I to doing this? It's like our version of police officers, military people, fire uh, firefighters going, oops, am I willing to give up my job because of this issue? Am I that committed? Well, a lot of people aren't. So what ended up happening is the Canadians cleared this out pretty quickly, even though there was a lot of damage done. For example, the bridge between uh, Detroit and Windsor, where $300 million worth of trafficking goes across. I'm talking about commercial traffic goes across every day. And uh, there were plants in Canada that were just shut down for uh, almost a week because of this. So the question is, is this beyond this sort of anti-vax philosophy that is that's now shut down or is it the start of something big like in the United States? Well, there's some big differences. When you look at what happened with the demonstrations here, it became all political. It really happened during the Trump administration where this right wing swath of Americans moved into uh, this political fight with the left, Republicans versus Democrats, which is far more than just anti-vax far more than anti-masking. It is to the very depths of American politics and the depths of American soul. Uh, That is what's happening here. Canada is looking at this and the experts are saying, is this the start of that? Are we following America's move in that we're looking at deep dissension within the people of Canada the politics where everything where there's absolutely no compromise whatsoever. Now, keep in mind, Canadians are a pretty benign group of people. I mean, they stay out of wars. Uh, everybody likes Canada. Matter of fact, uh, when I was uh, traveling as a teenager, uh, you took an you, if you could get a Canadian passport, you went with that. Or those of us with American passports were treated very differently than the kids with Canadian passports because everybody likes Canada. So what is the bottom line here? What's the takeaway? Well, they really don't know, except the experts are telling us because Canada is Canada, you're not going to see the same political depth of these demonstrations and of this anti-governmental move. It really has to do just with the vaccine. It doesn't have to do with political leaders. It doesn't have to do with political philosophy. It's going to stay there. uh, And it simply, it looks like just a copy of what we did and 10% of it. You know, it's an almost kind of, sort of, and it's quite a scare there for a while. I want to switch gears for a moment and talk about Gen Z. Uh, You good folks uh, or your your kids that were born uh, roughly beginning in 1997. Uh, which are expected to account for about a third of the U.S. civilian labor force by 2030. So that is a whole lot of people. And I want to talk about how Gen Zers work and how they live. And this is a group of people who may never work in the office again or certainly never work in an office full-time again. Uh, They're just, it's a different breed of people. Now, as I've said, uh, all aspects of COVID are being studied like crazy. Medical, of course, sociological, uh, how it impacts the workforce. And this is a workforce issue. And it's a question of surveys and experts looking at it. 
And we know that most Gen Zers, if you look at the surveys, and surveys are being done every single day by every major survey group, uh, not only private survey groups, but also universities. I mean, people are looking at this very carefully. And uh, it turns out... It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. That most, and we knew this already, want to work at the office at least half time. But so many of them want to work at home and never go into the office, which is basically what's happening here. I look at the sales department and never see anybody here anymore. And so there are the advantages. We've talked about those, the advantages of working at home. Uh, You don't have to drive. Uh, There's no commute to worry about. You can be closer to the kids. Uh, You have uh, the advantage of working basically the hours that you want to work. So there's huge advantages. But then there are huge disadvantages, and these are starting to crop up uh, in a big way in terms of the scientists, the sociologists, uh, the work experts uh, taking a look at this. And here it is. Being remote, for the most part, Gen uh, Zers are okay. But look at the surveys. Young remote workers also, at the same time, like working at home, They love taking the advantage, but they also are more unmoored and anxious. And young workers can harm their personal and professional lives in the future by missing office work. While there's a lot to be said uh, in a positive way of not going to the office, there's a whole lot to be said of going to the office, which doesn't happen when you're working at home. Uh, For example, learning from older colleagues, schmoozing with bosses, settling into the rhythm of everyday workspace, uh, being face-to-face with others. I mean, this is important stuff. Uh, Let me give you a personal example. After the show, virtually every day, I go into my program director's office and we sit down and just schmooze. Uh, We talk about our personal lives, the professional lives, how's the show going, Uh, what you thought was good, and just a general schmooze. We not only have a personal relationship, we also hate each other fundamentally. So it makes for an interesting conversation. But none of that happens uh, if uh, uh, I'm not here. And then uh, my interaction with uh, Tyler and Jen and Alex, uh, my coworkers, don't happen. That doesn't happen if I'm at home and not working here. So there's a huge advantage of being at the workplace. Also, mentorship. Uh, Just getting, how about just personal relationships? Where do you meet your friends? Uh, Where do you meet your partners? Where do you meet people that become loved ones, spouses? I'm willing to bet that at work, it happens much more than any place else. That's all gone. Uh, Social interactions are so important. Outside of the workplace, now it's kind of and it's kind of fun to take your break and hang out at the water cooler and gossip amongst you, amongst people, and badmouth everybody else. I mean, that's just kind of fun. That doesn't happen when you have uh, Zoom meetings or Teams meetings. You don't get any of that. There aren't any sidebar conversations. 
There aren't any you meet at the cooler say, hey, did you look at Janet? Boy, she looks sloppy today. Where the hell was she last night? You get none of that. You get what what does happen is a filtered conversation where even if you're going out on tangents, it's just not the same. All of that is missed. The personal interactions are gone. And scientists are looking that and saying, this is important stuff and this is really going to get home. Working from home, you can be lonely and anxious because you're by yourself. And those problems are more pronounced with Gen uh, Zers. Well, first of all, they spent an enormous amount of time in front of the screen anyway, and this just exacerbates it. Also, looking down all the time, uh, people were getting more hunched over, uh, and it's, uh, you know, physically it's uh, kind of a drag too. And according to an adjunct professor at Cal State University of Los Angeles who's looked at this, uh, there's a link between depression and anxiety and how we constantly compare ourselves to other people. And here you're only seeing, everybody just sees the best of each other. Because you're on this uh, a call for a few minutes. Uh, so from the waist up, you have to look pretty good. Uh, you don't have to wear pants from the waist down uh, or a skirt, which happens here. Because this is radio, uh, I can come here in my underwear, which I do constantly. Especially since I'm broadcasting behind a desk, so I don't have to wear uh, anything underneath uh, my waist. And so, according to this researcher, uh, working at home doesn't allow you're missing out on relationships with colleagues, mentorships that normally form. Uh, it also deprives you, uh, deprives you of making good, close friends at work. Uh, it's, it's a real problem. It truly is. And you're looking at careers. You're looking at the future. How do you network? with someone if you are remotely doing your work. You can't. How do you connect with people and just gossip and find out about jobs? Because most jobs uh, you don't get from these listings. You don't get from ZipRecruiter or Indeed. It's sort of just talking to people. Hey, uh, there's a job opening over there. Or, uh, hey, you may want to go for this career because uh, I understand that a friend of mine is making a pile of money doing that, and I know you're unhappy. You don't get any of that on the meetings that you have uh, working remotely, and you really have to think about it. Now, the hybrid model is what seems to be working the best, and you sort of get the best of both worlds. And now it's up to the companies to determine that that is the best way to go. And I think we're moving in that direction. I was talking to management here, and uh, that is where uh, they want to go, figuring that that's going to be the best way out. And it seems to be it seems to be the answer, although we don't know for sure, and we're not going to know because you can do all the surveys in the world, you can do all the studies in the world, but this is so new that, uh, like anything else, you have to have some uh, even medium-term effects on this. Uh, one of the other stories is uh, yesterday the Olympic Games uh, ended in Beijing. The 2022 Beijing Winter Games are over. And this was uh, an interesting Olympics, So we talked about this uh, throughout this past week. And that was, it was just a weird one. First of all, even the choice of Beijing, and this was discussed, is a weird choice. It's a place that doesn't particularly have uh, any winter sports. Uh, it doesn't snow very much in Beijing. 
They had to create artificial snow for every single venue, which hasn't happened before. Uh, Weather was a problem, especially there were winds and there were some snowboarders that were just smashed against the walls. But there's been winter problems before. I mean, there have been time after time when skiing events were canceled or delayed, well, delayed uh, because of weather, too much snow, too much wind, uh, that sort of thing. So that part wasn't unusual. But what was unusual about this is, first of all, the good news for China. They did an extraordinary job of dealing with the COVID crisis. And not only were athletes tested every single day, but they created these bubbles and that was reported on constantly. Three villages within, they were actually cities within the city, completely closed off. Once you went in, you were in and you couldn't get out. And uh, buses were picked up. uh, Athletes were picked up by buses to go to venues. Everybody was segregated Events happened, and then they were taken back to their own Olympic villages. And when you think about the thousands upon thousands of not only athletes, but also journalists and employees, workers, security that was there that were at the Olympics, they had less than 500 cases of COVID. I mean, that's an extraordinary achievement over two weeks. And so that was the good news. And, and, the, and the Chinese are the only people that could pull that off because of the control that they have over uh, society, over their own country. I mean, that, the Chinese government, the Communist Party and this Politburo, these people at the very top that is uh, headed by Xi, who has actually become another Mao. Uh, he literally runs the country. So decisions are made and they can literally switch at, uh, at, at a moment's notice. And in this case, uh, the word went out, we're going to be very careful of COVID. They succeeded beyond their wildest dreams. And everybody uh, has to be, uh, you have to give them credit for that. So one of the things that did happen, though, uh, politics were all over this. But wait a minute. The Chinese said there will be no politics. And the International Olympic Committee told all of the athletes there will be no politics spoken. You keep politics out of the Olympics for two reasons. One, it should be kept out of the Olympics anyway. I mean, the world is always in turmoil. And if ever there is a time where countries get together, or at least the athletes or representatives of the countries get together, now's the time where you don't want to start talking about human rights issues and you don't want to start talking about history and uh, what relationship you have with your neighbors. None of that. Okay, so they didn't. At the Olympics, but underneath, simmering underneath the Olympics in China was the, excuse me, was the issue of human rights, Uh, particularly the way the Uyghurs are being treated, that small minority group in uh, China. Uh, the, The argument is genocide has been occurring against the Uyghurs. Relocation camps, we're talking at least a million have been displaced. Thousands have been kidnapped, disappeared, killed is the allegation. Of course, China denies all of it. There's that, the basic human uh, uh, human uh, interest violation, human rights violations that occur among the Chinese people. There's no dissent at all allowed. What's going on with Hong Kong? Uh, what's going on globally, especially with the Western world, with China uh, trying to and succeeding to become a world power, a military power? 
that is not particularly pro-West, certainly not particularly pro-U.S. And uh, later on, I'm going to talk about at 9 o'clock, talk about what's going on with Russia and China. And then you had the individual events that had a lot of controversy. Uh, Doping allegations. Uh, You had one scene in which uh, the uh, Chinese athlete who was scheduled to win her event, uh, this was a skating event, didn't make it. She was the premier skater. Down she goes. And you have uh, just a total haranguing of her by the coaches in front of the cameras. And even the uh, president of uh, the IOC, the International uh, International Olympic Committee, said, man, was I disturbed. This was chilling to see. So in all, you had 3,000 athletes competing in seven sports, gold in 109 events, and uh, thousands of coaches and officials and journalists. And it went off, uh, actually went off beautifully. And here were your choices. This is none of this, uh, you either get vaccinated or you're going to lose your job in the protest. It was real simple. If you wanted to show up, athlete, credentialed, uh, participant of any kind, you either get vaccinated or you're in isolation for three weeks in advance. Otherwise, you're not coming in. Thousands of tests administered every day. Very few spectators were allowed. The seats were empty. And as I said, well, here's the actual number. Positive tests totaled 437. At least those are the results that were were published by the Chinese. And underneath all that, those hot-button issues just wouldn't go away. Uh, The ethnic minorities, the Hong Kong protests, uh, the politics directed Taiwan, for example, those were still there. And activists mocked uh, the game's motto. Keep in mind, when all of this was happening, the motto of the games was together for a shared future. Well, that got a little bit of controversy. Uh, it was, uh, there was, how about the Russian uh, figure skater, Kamila Valieva, or uh, Valieva? Helped her country get its gold in the team event. And then we find out she tested positive a few months before for a banned substance. And Olympic officials tried to disqualify her, but the international court said she could continue, but there wouldn't be a medal ceremony. And this is typical of Russia. Boy, do they have uh, a whole list of violations, which is why Russia didn't even participate. It was the Russian Olympic Committee, which of course is Russia, but the country was not even allowed there. You didn't see the Russian flag. Pretty crazy stuff. I want to talk about guns for a moment, uh, but not gun control. It's just the the whole issue and the controversy around the shooting of uh, cinematographer uh, Helena Hutchins on the set of Rust, a low-budget Western that was produced and uh, stars Alec Baldwin. And she was uh, struck, as you know, she was right next to the camera, behind the camera, just to the left of the camera, looking at the camera, Uh, when a live round uh, went off from that prop gun that Baldwin was holding, and uh, he was practicing, it was a rehearsal, and he shoots the gun uh, aimed at the camera that was supposed to happen, and instead uh, of a blank 
uh, going off. It was a real bullet that uh, hit her in the chest. And since then, it has exploded. Well, Russ shut down immediately, and the film is no longer going to uh, go forward. It'll never be distributed. Uh, and it has become uh, the poster child of what's going on in the film industry. And I want to do a take on this that actually when I read this and it came out of the Atlantic, I said, this makes a lot of sense. And we really haven't looked at it in this way to try to understand what is going on. Now, back in 1993, remember actor Brandon Lee, he was shot and killed on the set of The Crow. And at that point, uh, there was an explosion of new rules, new regulations. We have to be a whole lot more careful Now, there's always been an armorer on a set of a gun responsible for guns, particularly uh, guns that are real and making sure that blanks are in the gun, making sure that there are safety protocols followed, uh, safety meetings. uh, And uh, this is usually done on the call sheet where it's called for. And but that goes all over the place. Some armors and some sets are very, very careful. Uh, Others are not so careful, like what happened on Russ. A lot of controversy on Russ. First of all, uh, Alec Baldwin said he never shot. He never pulled the trigger. Uh, They don't know where the ammunition came from, the live ammunition. They don't know who actually handled the gun at what time. Uh, And that's not usually the case. Usually it's a lot more specific. And keep in mind, there have been millions of shots that were fired uh, during the course of filmmaking over the um, decades, uh, actually way over 100 years, that films have been produced. But here is what happens. It's always on American sets. That's where guns are. And uh, guns appear in U.S. movies far more than in any other movies around the world. We're just more comfortable with guns. Guns simply are part and parcel of who Americans are. Uh, They are the symbol of individuality. It's become that way. Uh, It's a symbol of uh, the freedom we have from governmental intrusion, It's the freedom we have to be our own masters. I mean, there's a whole world around guns that we have in this country. Uh, There is an author and a researcher, Justin Joyce, who wrote a book, Gunslinging Justice, the American Culture of Gun Violence in Westerns and the Law. How about that one? And explores what happens uh, during films and when guns are used. And keep in mind, as I said, Americans and American films use guns far more than in any, any other genre in the United in, in the world in terms of uh, gun use. And so he says, um, uh, imagine this, a hero in a film fires a gun and kills the bad guy. Well, that happens to be very reassuring to the popular imagination. We like villains getting killed and we naturally uh, default to a gun being used to kill the villain. Not baseball bats, not poison, uh, not knives, although that's, of course, used, but nothing like guns. And he goes on to say any push for limiting the use of firearms on Hollywood sets, which was called for both times, and it's not going to happen after the death of uh, the two actors, Brandon Lee and uh, the cinematographer, is disappearing already. Because any push for limiting the use of firearms uh, tends to reflect our national debate over gun control. And limiting firearms is a form of gun control. And whether or not you're a gun owner, folks in America are raised to recognize the power of the individual and the way that guns work as a symbol. Uh, And here's what he said. 
uh, the researcher. And this one, you sort of shake your heads. And this is a political statement. So, you know, take this with a grain of salt. I find it hard to imagine that in a culture where we're more ready to ban books than we are to ban guns, what, we're suddenly going to stop having gun shootouts in movies? Uh, Of course we're not. It's simply not going to happen. Now, every armor, and a lot were interviewed for this article, uh, said that having a gun on a set should never generate the kind of confusion that uh, what happened on the set of Rust uh, did. Uh, You have to look at this as an aberration, as an outlier situation where it was just screw up after screw up. It was a perfect storm of things going wrong. It's like an airplane crash. It's like when an airliner crashes. And 99% of the time, whenever anything goes wrong, it stops right there. So when a crash does occur, it's usually one problem followed by another problem followed by another problem. And it's lightning in a bottle where everything comes together and you have uh, this catastrophic scenario. Uh, scenario. So um, here's what armors are supposed to do. Figure out what kinds of guns are suited for which scenes. I mean, they really get involved from the very beginning. Uh, at, oversee every weapon brought to the set, hold safety meetings for everybody involved uh, in the shootout. Uh, But at the same time, armors uh, have different ideas. What's the best way to do their job? There isn't a specificity here. There aren't rules that say you must have this meeting for so long and this must be covered uh, and a checklist must uh, be checked off and uh, all of this has to be accomplished. There isn't any of that. Every armor looks at it differently. Uh, and it's actually a debate now among, our, uh, among armors about the best way to modify guns. How do we achieve a realistic look and sound? Uh, how about the cost of doing uh, practical effects versus uh, visual effects? Shooting off a blank is a whole lot cheaper than putting a computer-generated shoot uh, where the gun goes off, And all of a sudden you see the flash and that costs money to do that. Well, a blank costs you two cents to do. So you look at or they look at the costs. And then the argument goes, it's not just the armors and the actors. In this case, the conversation of what happened on Russ is primarily between uh, the armor and Alec Baldwin and who handled the guns and the assistant director. Uh, It's also about directors and producers, and they don't prioritize gun safety. Uh, Why? Because uh, you leave it to the experts. For example, uh, when it comes to stunts being done uh, that are dangerous, if you look at stunt directors, they are fanatic. I mean fanatic about how safety is going to occur on the set. And even then injuries do happen, and occasionally you get a death. But the time is spent, the time that is spent planning and uh, dealing with safety issues when a stunt is done is far greater than when a gun is used, taken for granted. You know, the armor knows what the hell he's doing. I mean, it's not as complicated, obviously, when it comes to shooting a gun on the set. But are you going to see, well, here's the takeaway here. With all of the talk about gun safety and eliminating guns on the set, For example, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, says we're done with real guns. It's all going to be rubber replicas, and we'll do the CG. That's not going to happen. It really isn't. There was even a California lawmaker who introduced a law that said we can't have real guns on the set ever again. He walked that back almost immediately. 
uh, where guns are going to be used. So that discussion is going to go on. Can't wait to see what happens with the lawsuits. Can't wait to see if there are any new procedures done in the movies. I don't think so. I think it's just going to say, even though the uh, lawsuits are flying like crazy. Handle and the morning crew on this President's Day. This is KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.